We've known for a while that the movie theater industry, because of the COVID crisis, has been in a lot of trouble. Like this has been obvious and evident and you know, we've known this for a while. No theater was in more trouble than AMC theaters. And really, through no fault of their own in many ways, AMC theaters had gone through a period just prior to COVID to get everybody caught up here. Prior to COVID, AMC theaters had gone through a lot of money spending, but it was all good money spending. It was smart money spending. They were buying up some new theaters. They spent a hell of a lot of money on upgrading a lot of their theaters. That's why you go into a lot of AMC theaters now. They're like palaces for movies. You go in, you get your motorized electric leather recliners and incredible sound. And they spent a hell of a lot of money on getting AMC A-list, the best thing I said to ever happen to film fans, the AMC A-list program up and running. And just before COVID hit, they had spent pretty much everything they were going to spend. They had pretty much done most of their upgrades. AMCA list was now turning a profit. Everything was great. They were in a lot of debt because of all the spending, but it positioned them to make a lot of money moving forward. So we've known for a while that AMC, more than any of the other theaters, was in big, big trouble. Well, it's looking even more bleak right now. Variety is running a story right now that the industry is predicting that AMC theaters as of right now could run out of money by the end of 2020 or at best in the early parts of 2021. This isn't a big surprise, but it's just having it put into black and white. They write AMC theaters in danger of running out of cash by the end of the year or early 2021. If moviegoers don't return to cinemas in greater numbers, the world's largest exhibitor warned in public filings on Tuesday. So this, is, this isn't even just somebody out there saying it. AMC is acknowledging this. We're in massive trouble. Goes on and say this. Now, this is from the reports that are coming out. Given the reduced movie slate for the fourth quarter in the absence of significant uh, increases in attendance from current levels of incremental sources of liquidity at the existing cash burn rate, the company anticipates that existing cash resources will be largely de depleted by the end of 2020 or early 2021 AMC reports. Thereafter, to meet its obligations as they become due, the company will, will require additional sources of liquidity or increase in attendance levels. Guess what? Attendance levels ain't about to change anytime freaking soon. Nope. Even if they had all the theaters open, there ain't no movies coming out. So that's got to be a little bit uh, expected. The required amounts of additional liquidity are expected to be material. That just means it's ass serious. When they say it's, it's expected to be material, that just means it's really, really serious. Rob, you and I have said over the past little while that mm. I, I fully believe and I still do to this day that if movie theaters can survive this period of time, this finite period of time, and still be alive by the time the movies start coming back into theaters, that the movie theater industry will be perfectly fine. There will be a lot of big movies to come out in mid to late 2021. A lot of people are going to be itching to get back to the movies. They will be fine. However, that... If, if they can survive until that point is the germane topic here. And as I've been saying in the last little while, it is just looking more and more 
like that if, if they can survive to that point is becoming more and more doubtful. When they pulled Black Widow, going back a number of weeks now, it was like, oh no, oh no. Because without Black Widow, that was going to be the first step in building that momentum that they were hoping Tenet would start and keep that ball rolling and whatever. Wonder Woman had been moved to December already, but still December. Then Bond moved. And then then uh, Dune moved. And then they just announced Soul got pulled off the release schedule. And it's just a matter of time. And then Regal shut down, at least temporarily. They've shut their doors. And now it's just a matter of time before they announce that Wonder Woman is going to get pulled off that December 25th release date. I, I mean, I hope it opens on December 25th. I really do. But I have very little faith at this point that it will. So with all these things piling up more and more and more, I have not changed my opinion that if the theaters can survive all this, they'll be fine long term. But my skepticism that they can survive that this period is getting more and more diminished. Rob, the bankruptcy and the closing of AMC theaters. Now they've talked, AMC theaters talked about, we're looking at other options, increasing our debt, but you got to have somebody willing to give you money to increase your debt. They've talked about selling off some of their theaters, maybe downscaling. They'll no longer be the number one theater chain in the world, but you got to do what you got to do. Maybe. But then would all of these things just be temporary band-aids? Because could they get themselves into so much debt that even if they're alive by the time the movies start coming back, they will have dug themselves into an insurmountable hole that they just will not be able to get out of. It it is, look, I am a very pro-movie theater guy. Everybody knows I get criticized for being as pro-movie theater as I am. Movie theater experience is the only experience. That's my opinion. But you also got to be a realist. This is looking more and more bleak by the day that this – and it's it's a shame, Rob, because we're coming out of a year in 2019 that was the third largest box office year in recorded history. Theaters were making money. AMC decided we can spend all this money. We had Cineworld doing expansions. They even looked at buying that Canadian theater chain, uh, uh, Cineplex. I mean, the theaters were, were feeling good. The studios are feeling good. And then COVID hit. And people suddenly couldn't pay their bills. And theaters had to close their doors. And they've now, I don't know what business, I don't know what restaurant can close their doors for eight months and stay in business. It's looking bleak. Rob, this report comes out. You're seeing it now. It's kind of even AMC is saying, yep, we're, we're about to run out of money, which only increases. Like I said on this show, when they said they're going to keep their doors open, when Regal said they were going to say, well, what the hell kind of logic is that? But Rob, this report comes out about this. Does it surprise you at all? How does it influence like your long-term projections on their ability to survive this thing? How do you see this right now? It's bleak, dude. I mean, I, I, I look at this and, and the reality of the situation is, you know, tenant, the release of tenant proved, at least in this country, that people are not ready. They, people, everybody wants to go back to the movies, but they're not ready to go back to the movies yet. And, um, you know, maybe tenant being being the heady concoction that it is might have been the wrong movie to lead with. I think more of a populist movie like a Black Widow might have worked a little better. But uh, I got to tell you this. This really does bum me out because, you know, even going into the new year, we're two and a half months away from the end of this year. And then we're expecting, I mean, 
then we're four months into the next year. How are things going to substantially? We're not watching things. Luckily, here in L.A. County, things are starting to decrease. But in the rest of the country, they're going back up. You know, we we the problem is we the audience needs to help out movie theaters by helping out each other by adhering to more uh, protocols, wearing masks, things like that. And uh, it's got to be all hands on deck. And we're not doing that great of a job as a nation doing that. And I, 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 I fear for movie theaters. You know, I, I really do. The, what, what did Chris Rock say? What were we talking about the other day about what, what the movie going experience means to our culture? I mean, it's not just movie theaters either. It's theater. It's Broadway. It's, it's all of these gathering places that we go that make our make the the fabric of our society or a rich place to live in and exist in and to be in. And I, you know, I don't want to see it go away, but it's academic. They're spending, they have money to, there's so much rent and so much money they have to spend and they're not, their businesses, they're not, they're not taking in any money. What are they supposed to do? Yeah. And going back again to that Chris Rock thing, which I, I I was thinking about what he was saying last night a lot, because to me, the horror of not having that movie going experience of not being able to see movies the way they are meant to be seen in a collective environment on the truly big screen, your 75 inch little TV, that's adorable, but it's shit compared to a real movie screen and a real theater sound system and the collective. But you know, what Chris Rock said about it's like just socially, the importance socially for us as a culture, like going out for an evening out, it is the most economical thing we can do. You know, with whether you're going on dates, it's a part of it. Look, it's a part of so many of our mating rituals. Going to the movies is just such a big part of the mating ritual, right? But on top of that, it's like a, an evening out with friends, whatever, getting together. It's just it's a hell of a lot cheaper than most other things. So once again, we're losing things that are just going to require us to sit at home on our asses, just like we did last night and just like we did the night before and just like you did the night before and your couch is starting to smell like fart and whatever. It's just, it really bums me out the more and more I'm thinking about it, but it's looking more and more like it could become a reality. And it's a, a scary thing to me, Rob, if you had to try to see what is the path to victory here, and that that's a phrase I'm going to use a little bit later in the show too. But if, if you could see right now or try to speculate or, or even just being hopeful about what is their path out of this, what could be a, a sequence of events that, leads us to getting to the other side of this thing where the theater experience is still there, the theatrical industry is okay, and they made it out to the other side. What's their path to that? Well, unfortunately, I don't think that they themselves have much of a path. I mean, look, like you've, you've had two very uh, uh, hopeful movie-going experiences yourself, and you were seeing that, that the movie theaters were really taking this seriously, and 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 making taking the, the safety uh, precautions they needed to take, you felt safe in those movie theaters, and they did their part. You know they were stepping up, um, and now they don't have. It's academic. They don't have the movies that they need, at least for the next two and a half months to do anything. So their hands are tied. I think the only thing that that they can do is 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 get behind our population. And encourage people to take this seriously and to to do what they need to do. I mean, I would start a campaign. If you want to come back to the movies, you know, if you want to see movies again, you have to help one another out. 
help your fellow moviegoers out because we want to see <laughs> movies in theaters again. Encourage people to adhere to precautions or something um, because it's right now it's in the hands. Believe it or not, it's in the hands of the audience itself. Do we want to go back to the movies? Do you want to have a – do you – I mean we are watching our entire civilization, whether it's restaurants and bars and all of our social the, – the, the fabric of our society that makes it worth living here is literally being turned off. And, and it's up to us to make sure it gets turned back on. Yeah, I agree. And question I'm, here is – I'm uh, willing to do my part. Yep, as, as am I, and I think most people watching are too. Uh, question here is, guys, what do you think about this report coming out about AMC? It just looked like they are imminently about to run out of cash. What's going to happen? Is somebody else think they're a good enough investment to pour even more tens of millions of dollars into? Do they start selling off their locations? Do they close their doors? Do they make it out to the other side? What do you guys think is going to happen here? Jump into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's start moving into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campion Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime. If you see a great news, movie news story or topic, going anytime over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit and then maybe just maybe you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Christian Hanna, who writes, Hey, John, I'm interested in the Google Chromecast, especially since it has HBO Max and I really want HBO Max, but I have a Roku streaming soundbar. I like, I was almost, I almost bought one of those. Those look great. I have a Roku streaming soundbar and I want to know your thoughts on the new Chromecast before I buy. I know it's not directly movie related, but since it's Google, this could be a breakthrough in streaming. Well, thanks a lot for saying that in Christian. As a matter of fact, no, it is very much movie related because right now, a lot of us, if we want to watch movies, we're watching them at home right now, and that's that's what we're doing. I've got a glorious 4K HDR 75-inch TV in my main room thanks to JBL. I've got this glorious surround sound system in my uh, living room. Rob, you've got that JBL system as well. Thanks to the good folks at JBL for that who, who sent those to Rob and I. Uh, it's a wonderful thing, and I've got my Roku. I've got a Roku. I've got several Rokus. I, for a long time, have been a Roku guy, Rob. I've been a Roku guy. Now, we brought up on the show the other day the announcement of this new Google Chromecast and, and all the really cool ways it looked like. It was, again, by the way, this segment is not sponsored in any way, shape, or form by Google Chromecast. <laughs> they did not send me a Google Chromecast, whatever. But if, hey, if Google wants to start sending me stuff, by all means, feel free. I'll take one, too. Um, and then I had dinner the other night with, with a friend who said, hey, I watched your show and I heard you talking about the Google Chromecast. So I picked one up for you. Here you go. Because they're only 50 bucks. I brought it home and I set this thing up. Now, some of you may have be somewhat familiar with Google Chromecasts. All Google Chromecasts have been before is a little dongle that allows you to really stream easily content from your phone to your TV. So you open up Hulu on your phone, you can now stream that to the TV. The new Google Chromecast with Google TV built in has its own now visual interface with a remote control, much like an Amazon Fire Stick or an Apple TV or a Roku, my beloved Roku. 
with a couple of key differences. Now, I know there are Rokus out there that have 4K. The, la- the, one, my, the one I have in my living room right now does not have 4K. So it was really nice thing to pick up this, get this Google Chromecast with Google TV, and it has 4K. So that's been great. Unlike my Roku, HBO Max is on the new Chromecast. So last night, Ann and I watched the latest episode of uh, Lovecraft Country on Google Match through the through the Google. That's great. Rob, let me tell you about a couple of things that have really stood out to me, though, because it's got all the features that a regular, you know, Roku would have. It's got all the features that a regular Amazon Fire Stick would have. But let me tell you about a couple of things that are different. One of the first things that jumps out to me is you see the little black button on the uh, remote control there. That you might recognize that symbol. That's the Google Assistant symbol. It's got the Google Assistant built right in. So I can sit, I'm sitting at my TV. I just press that button and say, bring up Lovecraft Country episodes. Boom. It knows it's on HBO Max. It opens the HBO Max app, brings up my episodes of Lovecraft Country, and I can just pick whatever episodes I want to start. I can just say to it, uh, open videos on the Dell XPS 15 on YouTube. Here are some videos, boom, and it brings up like a bunch of YouTube videos on the Dell XPS 15, and it's just right there. Here's the other cool thing. Because I have a Google Home, you guys have often heard me you know, I say, okay, Google, and then you know, my, I have a Google Home in my uh, office here. Because it's all connected, I was able this morning, sitting in my office, to turn to my Google Home and say, okay, Google, uh, turn on the TV and open YouTube. And then when I went downstairs a few minutes later, my TVs are turned on and there's and my YouTube channel is opened up too, which is great. But Rob, one of the other cool things about this, and I love this, I don't know if you use the Hulu app often. I love Hulu. But when I open Hulu, one of the first uh, bars of content is continue watching. You know, yeah. and say, oh, hey, you were watching, um, uh, you were watching Archer. Oh, you were watching, uh, I don't know, Ann had it. You're watching Fixer Upper. You were watching this. You were watching this. Want to continue, right? When I open my Chromecast now on the home screen, it has its own continue watching, but it's across all the different apps and channels that I have. So for instance, if I was just recently watching Lovecraft Country, it'll say, oh, continue watching Lovecraft Country on HBO Max. Oh, continue watching The Crown on Netflix. Oh, continue watching Mandalorian on Disney Plus. Or it's a it's a pre continue watching for every single network that I have. And it's like that makes it so much easier. It's quick, it's responsive, it's snappy. The the picture is fantastic. I gotta tell you, Rob, this um I have been a Roku guy for a very long time. And I'm gonna keep my Roku in my bedroom. But I love this thing. And for 50 bucks, um, and again, just like Zevia, these people should pay me. These these freaking Google folks should should pay me uh, for that. They should sponsor their show because I'm louding this thing so much. But I got to tell you, I, I love this thing. Rob, out of all the specs and everything you've seen that this thing has, what are the, or that you've even heard me talk about, which are the ones that uh, excite you the most? Well, I like, you know, the quality. Doesn't it have Dolby Vision and all that? And, yep, and has all I, that built right in. I mean, for me, that's always first and foremost. Am I getting the best the best experience in terms of the quality of the image, the quality of the sound? That's where we're – but – and then again, the next, the next best thing, of course, is functionality. And it sounds like based on what you're saying that the functionality is 
tremendous that you can, I mean, all we're going to do is add more channels and more streaming services to these devices. And the more functionality you get out of them that you can zip around and navigate really easily, the better off we are. And I, I love what you're saying. I mean, it makes me, it's, it's, and it's only 50 bucks. I mean, I say only in this day and age, only 50 bucks. But but for this type of an entertainment gateway, I will say this, though. I said this before I got my hands on it, and it's really true now. My one big critique that I really wish I would have liked to have seen different is, again, you see on the remote control, you got a YouTube, a dedicated YouTube button and a dedicated Netflix button. And those are probably the apps I use the most. Maybe replace Netflix with Hulu, but I watch a lot of Netflix. So you know, sure. you turn on, and instead of having to navigate around or you don't want to say the voice command, just hit the YouTube button, button and it'll open YouTube. I do wish they had made room for a couple of more of those dedicated buttons. Like, And I wish those buttons were programmable. So that's cool. It comes with the YouTube button and Netflix button. Maybe if you could add two more buttons underneath there that are programmable and you could decide what you want to have open when you hit that button. Like, oh, I want – I'm watching Mandalorian again, so I'm coming back to my TV to watch Disney Plus a lot. It would have been nice to have a button that I could say, make this button open Disney Plus and then make this button open Amazon Prime. You know what I mean? I think that would have been a nice rounding out – to really yeah. make this a little bit more user-friendly. I, and I understand you brought up a good point when we talked about this the first time. You want simplicity, and it's there, but just a couple of extra buttons that you can kind of you know, program to say what I want to have, an action, a quick, easy, convenient action. Because that's what this whole thing is. It's all about being quick and easy and convenient and easy to get at the content you want to watch. So I think that would have been a nice little touch. Anyway, guys, question is, what do you think about the looks of the Chromecast? I got to tell you, I'm a big fan, and I I have not been a Chromecast guy at all, but this has been spectacular. I've been loved. I've loved using it. Have any of you guys tried it out so far? Are you interested in trying it out? Maybe you're like me, and you just love the Roku, and you're like, I'm perfectly good with my Roku, or my Amazon Fire Stick, or my NVIDIA Shield, or I use my Xbox to, to access my – whatever it is. What do you guys think? Jump into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Iman. And Iman writes, hi, John and Rob. Disney announced officially the dates for the Mandalorian second season. They chose to go with the weekly release, which, in my opinion, is good and better than dropping the whole season. But I wish uh, if they do, I wish they would do what Amazon is doing with releasing the first three episodes, then continue weekly. What do you think? Uh, And uh, yeah, yeah, they have just come out. It's no big surprise. We kind of expected this. They have officially made it known that Mandalorian, which is launching on, I believe it's October 30th is the launch date for Mandalorian Season 2. They are going to be launching specifically with one episode per week, and it will run and follow that schedule till about the end of December, just in time for Soul to come out, which is a nice little one-two punch that they've kind of set up for themselves there. Look, I've said for a while that while I love binging, right? Ann and I just started watching Schitt's Creek, Amazing. I I can't believe it's taken me this long, especially considering it's a Canadian show. I can't believe it's taken me this long to get on board with that show. It's amazing. And so we've been binging through it like crazy. I'm big into binging. But 
If you're a network, the absolute smarter thing to do is 100% no debate. 100% the smarter thing to do is to release week to week. It keeps the momentum going. It keeps people talking about your show for a much longer period of time. It builds excitement as people talk about the new episode every single freaking week. It increases the spread and the ability for people to hear about it now and hearing other people talking about getting excited gets them on board. It's just been proven with studies over and over and over again. They get far more bang for their buck by releasing it that way. And personally, Rob, you and I talked about this before. I, as a fan, loved the fact, Rob, that every week you and I would have a new episode of Mandalorian that we could then talk about and buzz about and discuss and and speculate about what's going to happen next week and where's this going to go. And then next right. week we get to do it all again. There's something fantastic about that. But then there's that middle ground that Iman is, is talking about that some networks were like, We'll drop the first three episodes. Like I remember Hulu used to do that with Runaways. They drop like the first three episodes when they debut it and then go once a week. I think if Mandalorian, Rob, was more than eight episodes, like if it was 11 episodes, 12 episodes, I could see doing that. But with an eight episode model, I think it's eight episodes they're doing. With something like an eight-episode model, well, that means you've only got five weeks left. Like after you watch that first one, you got five episodes left. So I would say with something that's as short as Mandalorian, I think it's probably smart to just drop it properly one episode when you launch. If it was 12 episodes, go with three, but that's how I kind of see it. Rob, what do you think the proper approach would be for them on something like Mandalorian Season 2? Well, to me, it's all about the kind of storytelling. Like, for instance, The Mandalorian are pretty much self-contained episodes. And, you know, you you could really watch. I mean, there is an ongoing progression, but it's not like it's serialized the way, say, The Boys is serialized. So to me, getting one episode a week of The Mandalorian, it's a real treat. You know, I love it. And if somebody gave me three episodes, I'd be like, why aren't you giving me all the episodes? I think you should do either or. Like, I like the fact that the boys started out with three episodes. Yeah. But then but then it was over and done with. I, To be honest, if I'm getting episodes once a week, I want that once a week fix to last longer than just the five weeks that we got after the boys dropped their first three episodes. And with The Mandalorian, you know, now more than ever, John – Having things to look forward to for an extended period of time uh, makes me happy <laughs> because, you know, now it's like a bridge. And and I mean, normally I would be happy about this, but I, I should mention that Star Trek Discovery Season 3 debuts this week, too. And I like the fact that, uh, well, for me, it's because the pain is lessened when I have to watch every episode weekly. But <laughs> I, 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 I prefer the weekly model especially when it comes to a show that's not as interconnected and serialized. I just think it's better. It's more fun. I anticipate it more and it's more fun to watch when we finally get to, I get to have Mandalorian morning, you know, or like on a Friday morning, yeah. I make my coffee before I come in on your show. And, you know, we sit in bed at like, I don't know, seven thirty, seven o'clock and watch the Mandalorian. I love it. Like ritualistically, I like looking forward to that and then making the coffee and sitting down and doing this thing every Friday. I think it's yeah. great. And then when that, fr- when that Friday, when there's no more Mandalorian mon- uh, morning, then it's like, oh, man. Boy, and I, I'm glad you brought up the boys because that was the exact 
experience, right? Like when Anna and I watched the final episode, we had Corey over and we watched the final episode. It's like, I, it's over already. Yeah. Because that was the thing, right? They Like when they dropped the first three episodes, I loved it for that moment that I got to watch three episodes. Right. But I, I think I would have traded personally. This will be a, a, this will be a, your mileage may vary kind of situation where everybody will have a different preference. But if I could have gotten like three more weeks of being able to look forward to another episode of the boys, it just, it felt like it ended just as it was starting. You know what I, I know. mean? And, and so I'm with you. I think you, you gotta go either. I think you go one of two ways, uh, unless again, you're like 12 episodes, then you can do drop with two or three and then go in weekly. But other than that, I think you're right. I think you either go with drop the season at once, which f- for me would make me very happy, but it's not the smart thing to do. Or you just go week to week. And so, and I think the boys, as much as I loved it, yeah, you're right. The drawback of the fact that you blinked, you blinked and it was done. The season's over yep. now. And now we yep. got to wait, what, a year and a half, probably, till the yeah, next season of, of the boys? Yeah, because of production. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. And and I, I want get more there. of that show. Yeah, me too. And it's going to be uh, different from person to person. Anyway, the question here is, guys. What do you think about that? What do, what do you think would have been the proper release strategy for something like Mandalorian? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Raz, Raza Hyder. And Raza Hyder writes, Hey, John. Disney announced that they are now starting to prioritize content made for streaming on Disney+. Plus. Due to the pandemic, Disney reportedly lost $4.7 billion from a combination of the theatrical releases being postponed and closure of parks. A lot more of that coming from closure of parks. Uh, from a business standpoint, I think they're making the right move, but it is sad that the focus on theatrical films will be less. What do you think of this? And could Disney make theatrical films a priority again once the pandemic ends? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, Bob Chapek, the new CEO of Disney, came out and said, and by the way, before any, I already seen some people say that he's deviated from what Bob Iger wanted to do. Bob Iger is still Bob Chapek's boss. <laughs> don't, don't forget that. They came out and made this announcement that they did a massive reorganization. And they said plainly that one of the purposes of this reorganization was to put a heavier emphasis on the streaming content. That's not just Disney Plus. It's Disney Plus, and he was very specific to call out Hulu and ESPN Plus. A lot of people keep forgetting that Disney is very, very serious about Hulu. And I'm glad they are. It's it's an important thing, and I'm, I'm glad they're going to be doing that. It's a, it's a very it's a complicated breakdown, but just to just to put it into a little bit into context, here's basically what this reorg kind of means. All right, they have now reorganized that their content is being broken into three divisions, divisions they're calling, or at least that uh, deadline in the Wall Street Journal is calling movies, which is going to be continued to be headed up by Alan Horn. General entertainment, which is probably going to be television, documentary, all that other kind of stuff, which has a new head of that general stuff. And sports. Of course, they have a heavy investment in sports with ESPN. And of course, their streaming outlet ESPN+. Plus. Now, the what really makes this different from just a, 
you know, academic reorganization is the fact that they've created a brand new division, a brand new arm, pardon me, that they're calling the distribution arm. And basically what that means is this new arm, this new department will be the department that they decide something that the movie division creates, something that the general entertainment division creates, something that the sports division creates. They don't decide where that piece of content they're making is going. Alan Horn, the high lord and guru of all things Disney movies, will not be the one who gets to decide where a movie that he oversees and creates through his Pixar arm, through his Lucasfilm arm, through his MCU arm, through his Disney proper arm, whatever, he's not no longer going to be the guy to decide where that goes. It will be decided by the distribution arm. They will be the ones who decide where it goes, and they are going to have a higher priority now to funneling content to their streaming outlets, be it Disney+, Plus, be it Hulu, or be it ESPN+. Plus. I think you're about to see a lot of ESPN content diverted to ESPN+. Plus. Yeah. This is a very interesting move, but, but this is not a sudden, nor is this a surprising move. And here's why. A lot of movie fans made the assumption that when Disney bought Fox, they were doing it so they could get X-Men. I, th- I mean, that generally was the, the general feeling amongst movie fans, but a lot of us tried to tell everybody it's not about X-Men. Disney did not spend $71.2 billion to get the freaking X-Men. That is not why they spent $71.2 billion. They bought it for two letters, my friends. They bought it for IP. They bought it for the intellectual property rights to not just current content, but catalog content and the rights to do things with that catalog content that maybe had not been done before, was not a part of the plans previous to that. This has always been the plan. The plan was that Bob Iger was very, very invested in what was going to be happening with streaming. They bought Fox to to acquire an additional massive catalog and a controlling interest in Hulu which kind of sealed the deal. Because remember, Hulu used to be this thing like a whole bunch of studios used to co-own together. It's now a Disney property, period. It's a Disney property. So what does this mean? For things like Avengers 5, for things like, you know, Star Wars Episode 10, whenever that happens, it doesn't really mean much. The movies that are pretty much guaranteed to earn Disney a billion dollars at the box office, they're still going to put into theaters. But it also means that a lot of the content that is more borderline content that would have before gone to, for instance, Ant-Man 3. I don't, as of right now, let's just forget the COVID problem right now. Forget COVID. As of today... I don't believe Ant-Man 3 is ever going to see the inside of a movie theater. Because if you really look at the box office, the Ant-Man movies, while I very much enjoy them, they are very much near the bottom of money earners, right? As far as how much they make in box office. I I don't think this new distribution arm is going to say, let's put this in theaters. I think they're going to say, let's put this on Disney+. Plus. I think they're going to say, this is a prime candidate for a Disney Plus debut. And guess what? Kevin Feige doesn't have a say. 
And Alan Horn doesn't have a say. It's now this new department that gets to make those priorities. And I think that's what's going to happen. And I think you're going to see a lot of those more middle of the road things. The big mass of blockbusters are guaranteed to make a billion. I don't think it's going to change anything. I don't think it's going to change a thing. Rob, earlier in the show, I brought up the phrase path to victory. What, what's the path to a win? What, what can the movie theater see to a path to a win? I'll tell you what, there's a bit fewer paths to victory now for the theaters than there were before now. Because I don't think theaters can survive strictly on the big blockbusters. They, I mean, that's the lion's share of the money they make for sure. But they also rely a lot on those billions of dollars that are made over the course of the year from the smaller films all collectively that come out to fill in the theatrical space. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. But my big fear is this. Here's my big fear. So I'm not surprised. But here's my fear. And I've been, you guys have heard me say this for a long time. What we are about to see is the Walmart, the Walmartization, the Walmartization, there I made up a word for us today, <laughs> of content. When you walk into Walmart, you don't expect to see the finest brands, the best, best products. You find things that will work for you. You know, you'll find, you'll find the cheap silverware, you'll find the cheap plates, you'll find the cheap living room lamp, you know, and I am a proud Costco, Target, Walmart shopper. <laughs> That's me. Just look at my fashion sense. I'm not a creme de la creme, but we're going to see Rob. Um, I, I've said this for a long time and I, and I will say it even more as more and more things move to streaming. You're going to see content, the quality of content drop lower and lower and lower. It's going to become more Netflix-like where it's all about quantity rather than quality. For every one decent original movie that Netflix puts out, there's about 40 pieces of filler garbage that get thrown out there. And, you know, what's going to – while I love The Boys, I love The Boys, which is clearly a lower-budget show, but they do a great thing with it. But what you're going to start seeing is Disney's like, hey, listen, we're not going to make the $800 million we would have on this if we put it in theaters. It's going to Disney+. Plus. Therefore, that $175 million budget is now $30 million or is now $5 million. And that is going to become the new normal. For every Lord of the Rings show that's going to have a $10 million per episode budget, for every one of those – we're going to get 50 super low budget, crap filler, put whatever out, because what we lack in quality will make up for in quantity. We already see it on Netflix. We are already seeing it on Disney+. Plus. Disney+, Plus has gone a year giving us two premium pieces of content. And it was Hamilton, that's Mandalorian. Other than that, we've had a year of just a lot of filler. Be Our Chef, Shop Class. The Imagineering thing, some cool stuff, dude. There's been some cool stuff. There has been some cool, but for a year, and that's what it's going to become. And it's it's a dystopian future, my friends. It is a dystopian future. <clears throat> but you know, uh, you know, maybe Disney can do it differently. Maybe under the leadership of a Bob Iger and now his his apprentice, you know, Chapek, maybe they can lead it and, and make streaming something different. I'm just saying the first year of Disney Plus has not given me a lot of confidence. The first year of Disney Plus has not given me a lot of confidence. But anyway, Rob, big reorganization, not a big surprise. This is why they spent $71.2 billion to acquire Fox in the first place. 
you hear about this organization, Rob, what are the things that stand out to you? Well, John, <laughs> I, I, I mean, look, we're now we're now in a situation where my whole life I've loved movies is, have been my first love. And they are movies are under siege from many different directions. My beloved physical media is going away. Um, streaming is taking over the theatrical experience. These are inevitabilities. This is this is evolution. It, it's just part of life. However, like you pointed out, the performance of these shows is not necessarily tied anymore on a streaming service the way it is at the box office to money coming in. I mean, obviously these streaming services want to get more subscribers, but when you have a monthly subscription base, you know, Disney plus is up to what? 60 million subscribers. That means they, they, they can figure out how much each new piece of content is worth based on the number of subscribers they have. Like, okay, we, we, we put this out and we got this many more subscribers and all that. But for the most part, it's not – shows are not necessarily performance-based. It's the whole platform that's performance-based, not just individual pieces of content. Whereas at the box office, individual pieces of content are absolutely performance-based. Endgame, one movie, makes a billion uh, $3 billion. That's a big deal. So with streaming services, if the, the theatrical experience goes away – that performance-based um, return is no longer – it doesn't exist. You don't have a $3 billion grossing endgame anymore because if it's on a streaming service, it doesn't matter whether so, whether you spend a million dollars on something, $10 million or $300 million, it might all get the same amount of viewers. So it's not necessarily tied to cost and and, and the benefits of – Spending three hundred and fifty million to make an end game or something brings you three billion at the box office. When that is gone, like you pointed out, why spend a lot of money on content? There's no reason to anymore because it's not performance based. So, although viewers are going to expect to see those lush production values in MCU movies, there's no justification to do it anymore. And I think that, like, I, I feel that we'll all be diminished. One of the reasons that the MCU is as successful as it is is because you get a pretty consistent, amazing series of, 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 of production values throughout those movies that make them so much fun to watch. The airport scene in Civil War, you ain't going to get that, or at least not as well as it was done in that movie, if it's only going to be on streaming. And that's a bummer. That content is no longer – people can't dream big as as Tom Hardy said in uh, Inception. You have to dream bigger, darling. Well, if all content's going to be streaming, dreaming bigger isn't going to help you. You have to figure out how to dream within a budget. And wh where's the fun in that? So I, I, I don't know. I mean like you said – it's just it's 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 what's happening and we have to we have to adapt or die but i think we're it's bleak dude i'm not i'm not i'm not optimistic about all this See, although now, go ahead oh maybe you know uh, certain filmmakers thrive under creative limitations and as technology increases and we have things like lucasfilm stagecraft technology maybe that more uh, uh, creative applications of that technology can make sure that we aren't going to lose the kind of spectacle that we're used to. At least that's what I would hope. You know, one of the things that uh, we can't forget is that, look, 
I still think every once in a while, like for instance, Amazon Prime is, we already mentioned this Lord of the Rings show that they're doing, right? Um, you know, Apple TV is like putting out $200 million for, of course, Apple has like, can buy and sell Disney 15 times over. So like, whatever, but they're putting $200 million into the Martin Scorsese thing, right? We will still get the odd thing. Like there will still, once every six months, you know, we'll still get the odd, like really big balls to the wall going all out kind of spectacle blockbuster. But like a, mo- a year like 2019, we're never going to have that again. And no. what a lot of people forget is that, you know, you, you articulated it so perfectly, Rob. When you now have a subscriber base and you get that money coming from subscriber base, now it's just about keep, keep, them, ha- keep them satisfied. You know, and and let's keep pushing the the bar lower to see how far low we can push the bar before we start losing them as consumers, right? And so it's going to get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And what a lot of people forget is that like Netflix is as many, what is it, 150 million subscribers around the world or something like that. It's, it's crazy. Everybody forgets. They actually look at the last financial reports that got put out. They spend more money every year than they make. Yeah. Like right now, Netflix spends, and it's it's hard to imagine, but everybody forgets how expensive it is to run one of these things. Netflix, and this is not good business, they spend more money than they make. And that's not a model that can survive long term. At some point, you have to start turning that thing around. And you pointed out, Rob, the best way it's going to happen is that these places are going to have to get attention. But for every Mandalorian, you got to make sure everything else is mega cheap. Everything else costs almost nothing to make, you know? And I I fear, I'm not saying it, I'm not guaranteeing this is what's going to happen. I hope it doesn't. I just fear that that's where we're heading because we're already sort of seeing signs of that, right? We're already seeing signs of that. So it'll be interesting. But again, a lot of faith in Bob Iger, a lot of faith in what Disney has been able to do. And if they can do this differently and set a model that other streaming services can say, hey, there is a way to do super high quality content and loosen up the purse strings and spend money on it and make money. If anybody's going to be able to find that way to do it, it's going to be Bob Iger. Bob Iger will be the one to do it. So I'm just I'm just nervous, Rob. I'm just completely nervous. Anyway, question is for you guys. What do you think about this big reorg? Maybe you were caught by surprise. Maybe like a lot of us, when you saw Disney buy Fox, you knew the writing was on the wall. How do you feel about this right now? What do you think the long-term implications are going to be? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Hey, right. um, yes. there's some breaking news. Oh, breaking news. What do we got? Mad Max spinoff. Furiosa in the works at Warner's with George Miller directing Anya Taylor-Joy in the title role. Chris Hemsworth and Yahya Abdul-Mateen II along for the ride. They they discussed that. We talked about it on the show that it looked like they were going to move a forward with Furiosa, but they were going to try to get a younger Furiosa. This dropped while the show has been going on. I want, So the, who'd they go with? Anna Taylor-Joy? Anna Taylor-Joy, who she I love. She was just in New Mutants, right? New was Mutants. Just- I love her. I just I, I wonder great. how people are going to react to it not being Charlize Theron, though. Because that's that's the Furiosa everybody fell in love with. Was, I know. Uh, it's going to be curious to see. Oh, but that's uh, well, a pretty great cast. I mean, you know. It's fantastic. Yaha it's fantastic. Mateen, he's killing it. Winning Emmy Awards. He's being he's, a ton of. 
I feel like every other movie that gets announced, his name is popping up. Like and this dude. I know. You've got- but I- Thor I wonder who Black this guy's. Manta? I wonder who this guy's agent is because he is getting him all the movies at this point. Well, we'll talk more about this obviously on the show tomorrow, but that's that's a good. One. A lot to read in there, so that's good. They're moving forward with Furiosa, but it's not going to be with Charlize Theron. Interesting. And he's brought so, back his entire uh, team that that won Academy Awards for Fury Road. The uh, um, the production designer, the editor, the sound mixer, and the makeup designer. And so that's pretty cool. What a Pretty gorgeous cool. film that was. That was a gorgeous film. Like, just beautiful to look at. Um, all right. Uh, with that down, guys, let's move on to our fourth and final main topic today. And our fourth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Manny Palau, who writes, Oh, Rob, I think that you're not going to like this one. Hi, John. I think deep down, I knew it was going to happen. But I just read that Greenland, that Gerard Butler disaster movie, is officially skipping theaters here in the U.S. and going right to streaming in December. Yep. And you're right. It's not really a big surprise, but it is kind of unfortunate. Uh, Where are we at here? Considering this feels like a big screen kind of movie and that it already made over $45 million in international markets, is this a big mistake all right thanks a lot for sending that in man and yeah one of these little films that we've really been looking forward to rob i know you put it on your mo- when we did our most anticipated list i, I know, know this was one of the ones you put on your anticipated list the gerard butler disaster film greenland about the asteroid heading towards earth okay big thing big explosions big disasters all that kind of stuff it was supposed to open originally in june or july in the united states obviously those plans got curtailed by the pandemic and theaters being closed. They kept pushing the date and pushing the date and pushing the date. They finally, they start opening it up internationally. It's made $45 million internationally. I know. Uh, And they were looking forward to having a domestic, but with the way the situation is in the theaters, they just decided we've sat on this for too long. It can't wait any longer. And now it is going to be released in December. This comes to us from the folks over at Deadline who write, Gerard Butler's action film Greenland, which we first told you was jumping from theatrical release during the pandemic to PVOD and eventually HBO and HBO Max, will become available in homes on, they've got a date now, December 18th at the price of $19.99, so 20 bucks for a 48-hour rental period. The SDX Films movie has already opened number one in 24 offshore markets, grossing over $45 million off a $35 million production budget. That's a good jump for them, as a matter of fact. Uh, in most key territories, Greenland has bested Butler's previous hit, Angel Has Fallen. Greenland continues to roll out on the big screen in international markets. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's coming out on December 18th. Look, there's a couple of ways of looking at this. Number one, it is unfortunate because this does feel like a fun movie theater, you know, popcorn kind of flick that you want to see on the big screen with the big explosions and all the disaster we saw in the trailers and stuff like that. Look like good fun in the movie theaters. But Rob, especially when you're a movie that's like a $35 million movie, you 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 just you can't wait. You can only wait for so long. You can only sit on it for so long. Mm. And, you know, this thing was originally supposed to come out in June. And that whole thing that we've talked about is that danger of this was being heavily pushed and marketed in March. Back in, they were pushing and promoting this thing. And a lot of people, I'm sure, are probably saying right now, "Green, wait, Green, that didn't come out like ages ago. <laughs> you can only push these things for so long. 
I'm not surprised. I mean, this is one of those films that it wasn't going to make a billion dollars at the box office regardless, but this is one of those films that was probably primed to make that jump. I'm disappointed that we're not going to be able to see it on the big screen. This is one of those movies that I think really would have benefited from that. But, you know, again, I get it. It is what it is. And they've made 45, which means they don't even have to do all that much in the PVOD market to break even now because it did such a, a good job in it with its international legs. Imagine how much money it could have made if it did, was able to hit its domestic release, which is unfortunate. Rob, I know this was a movie you were really looking forward to. What are your thoughts on this move for Greenland? Take my money. I can't wait to see this movie. I I will. I mean, more so than Mulan. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to throw down the cash. I've, I've been wanting to see this for a long time. This is right up my alley. Uh, ever since I was in the sixth grade and read Lucifer's Hammer, the great book by Larry Niven and Jerry Pornell that my music teacher took away from me because I was so obsessed with it. I was reading it in music class. I love when anything from space hits the earth and causes massive destruction. This movie is so right up my alley. I can't wait to see it. Bummed. I won't be seeing it in a theater, however, in a big, gigantic screen with laser projection and, and sound that would rock my bowels with the bass that it would provide. I, 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 the words rock my bowels were just spoken on the show. Rock my bowels. <laughs> there, there's a t shirt that's got to get made, I think. So, with anyway, the, rock my bowels with bass, though. <laughs> with bass, heavy explosion bass. Question is, guys, what do you think about this? I'm sure this probably doesn't catch any of you by surprise given the current climate that we're all in. But now we do have a date. Now you know when you're going to be able to watch this. Is this one you're looking forward to seeing? Maybe you just think it looks too dumb to care about. But what do you guys think? Jump into the comments section below and leave us your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live questions. And once again, the way you can get a live comment or question is simply by using the tip link in the top of the description of this video or simply use it manually, streamelements.com slash tv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question right on the show. And of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. Okay, guys, let's get into it. We're going to start things off here with I, John C. writes. I am a super Star Wars fan, but I am absolutely tired of them hanging around the Skywalker era. Yes, I know they're coming out with the High Republic, but something tells me they should go even further back like the Old Republic thoughts. Yeah, listen, I, I don't like prequel stuff, but if you go backwards in time far enough that there's no directly connecting threads, then you're free to tell a totally different story. High Republic... Three, I believe they said it's 300 years prior to the events of Star yeah. Wars, uh, the first Star Wars film. I think that's a good distance in time. They are going to put Yoda in there. So, of course, they've got to have some kind of stupid connective tissue, but whatever. Um, it's fine. It's hard. Now, would I, if they had come to me and said, John, how far back should we go? I would have suggested Old Republic. I think a lot of people would have suggested Old Republic. But they had an idea. And they had an idea with the full creative writer's room, something they should have done with episodes seven, eight, and nine, but they didn't. And so maybe they learned that lesson. They got a full creative writer's room together of some very impressive names to chart out a new story. Without seeing that story, it's difficult to say that they shouldn't be doing this. This could be the best. I mean, look, this could be the greatest thing Star Wars has ever done. And like, like Rob, one of the people in that room, as a matter of fact, was Claudia Gray. Claudia Gray is one of the people who was in that writer's room. Claudia Gray has written some of the best Star Wars novels of all time, including Lost Stars, which is like 
in my top three favorite Star Wars novels of all time. And she's written a number of other really good ones too. And she was part of that writer's room charting out this new High Republic era. So I've got some enthusiasm for that. But again, it's impossible to say that they shouldn't have done this. They should have done this when we haven't even seen what the story is. Rob, if they had come to you prior and said, hey, should we go to just 300 years or should we go back to Old Republic? Which would you have said? You know, people love the Old Republic. The Knights of the Old Republic game was beloved. I liked that era. Um, and I think it, it really depends. I, I think the Knights of the Old Republic gives you more story possibilities. I think the High Republic is something that is going to be looked back upon <clears throat> having not seen it. But obviously it's their way to increase diversity and inclusion. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. I just hope it's it's not agenda-based storytelling. I feel what Star Wars is missing is Star Wars. <laughs> you know, people like The Mandalorian because it's familiar. There's a lot of familiar aspects of it so they can get behind it. And I I, I see that the the High Republic um you know, if everything's going swimmingly well, then is that as much fun as if the galaxy is being torn apart by rebellion and revolution? I don't know. You know, we'll see. But um, I, I would have gone back to the Knights of the Old Republic era. Right. But I, I think the important thing, too, here is this. A lot of people assume if they had done Old Republic, they just would have adapted, um, you know, Knights of the Old yeah, Republic. Nah. And now nah, they probably would have created brand new stories just in that yeah, era. So of I, so it, it really is. It's six of one, half a dozen of the other, depending on how you look at it. So, I, again, I would have gone to Old Republic, but. Again, I'm very encouraged by who they had in this writer's room, and let's see yep. what they do. At least, at least, no, it's I, separated by a few centuries. Dude, I I'm excited. I mean, I I I I like the whole Shadows of the Empire idea yeah. in the beginning with with uh, all the the things they. It was kind of a transmedia event with novels and video games and toys. I liked it, and I, and I think that if this is well done, it, as it, as always, John, it comes down to great stories well told with great characters that I really. Uh, like and that's it that's all i'm looking for all right let's move on here next up uh, also i john c writes second message of the day not a fan of remakes and when poltergeist was announced being remade i lost my shit then was justified by how crappy it was that being said i think the final countdown and john carpenter's prince of darkness could be amazing well here's the thing yeah the pol poltergeist was eh. uh but remakes here's the truth all right Here's the inconvenient truth for everybody who likes to hold on to this myth that all re if it's a remake, it automatically equals bad. Here's the truth. A remake has just as good and just as bad of a possibility of being good or terrible as any film does. I mean, it's just reality. A lot of remakes are a lot of fun and they're really great and some are considered all-time classics. John Carpenter's The Thing was a remake. The Fly was a remake. Um, I mean, uh, Scarface was a remake. I mean, and you can go on with that. There have been some modern remakes that I actually thought were better than the originals as well. And a lot of crappy ones. So I'm totally good if you want to remake something. Again, my guiding principle is this. If you do remake and it's good, yay, we have a new good film to celebrate. If you make a remake and it's bad, oh, well, we still have the original. No harm, no foul. So, but, uh, but I mean, yeah, so I, I just think it's all the same. Making a good movie is a crapshoot, Rob. And, uh, it is what it is. I don't know. How would you respond to that? What would you, would you say to that? And did you ever see that Poltergeist remake? Dude, uh, you know, <laughs> 
I did see that Poltergeist remake, and I, I that's the to me that was one of the greatest examples of why sometimes remakes are utterly needless. And unless you have, I'm all for remakes if you take material and rework it and make it interesting. For instance, Cronenberg's The Fly, or John Carpenter's The Thing, or even Philip Kaufman's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Those are my three favorite remakes. They bring something new to the party, and they're A-list all the way. But that Poltergeist remake, what the hell, man? But I, <laughs> I, 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 I just, I, I think this quest of turning things that just, just because you have a familiar IP doesn't necessarily mean that you should go remake it. Because if you remake it badly, I mean, the Jacob's Ladder remake that came out, it's amazing to me that these things are getting greenlit and there's there's not any kind of a new take or interesting. I just don't know why they do them. And I don't. Well, I'm thinking about what what was the initial question? What did you ask me? <laughs> oh, it's just so what? Uh, there was a lot of them. I can't remember. But I mean, I mean at, I, at the same time, like for instance, um, I I think my rules for remake have always been: ha, is there a good chunk of the movie going on today that has not seen the original? Sure. Is there a decent chunk? Could it benefit from a new setting? And could it benefit from modern technology that's used in making films? And if you answer yes to all those, I'm good. Like, for instance, there's a, there's some movies that are just like the originals, but I still think the new ones are better. Um, that News of the – what's it called? News of the World, that new Tom Hanks trailer came out that reminded me of True Grit. True Grit is a great example of the remake with uh, Jeff Bridges – that I actually think is quite superior to the original one with John Wayne. I, I actually think the new True Git is quite better. I thought the new Ocean's Eleven was quite superior to even to the Frank Sinatra well, versions of Ocean's okay. Eleven, right? I'll, I'll get I'll, with. I think Ocean the original Ocean's Eleven has a fun cast, but it's not a good movie. Well, yeah, granted. And, and I think I love Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven. I think you're right there, and I think that's a perfect example of a, a, a remake. That is justified because the original great idea, just not good execution. And in that case, I agree with you. But, you know, if you go back and you look at like John Carpenter's The Thing and then they they made a prequel to it a couple of years back, I think the original is still superior. I mean, the, yes. because the the new one relied on CG effects and it just it, it didn't it didn't work. But I would still much rather see an original vision, a new a new work than something that's a remake of something I've already seen. I mean, give it a choice. Right. Uh, a really good example for me is uh, The Departed. Right. And, and by the way, I still prefer the original. I, this is a situation yeah. where I don't think the remake was better than the original. I think the original one is still better, but The Departed is awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's well, that, you, know, you know, that's that. I think that's a different. It, it's a different case though, because when you're remaking True. a foreign film, and yeah, the the I love Infernal. Actually, I have all three Infernal Affairs movies on uh, DVD. But the the I think that The Departed is a case of a of a real visionary filmmaker reinterpreting that material in a different culture, different, you know, obviously in English, in America, the Irish setting in Boston, all of that sort of transmutes it almost like, you know, a, a wizard, a sorcerer transmuting something. 
into something else. I mean, while The Departed is based on Infernal Affairs, I think it's different enough and has a different unique take that they can both exist in the same continuum and both are totally enjoyable. That, yeah, that's a good point too. I'll just throw out just a, a couple more of, of where I think. And I love, I dude, I love the Departed. I oh, love the Departed. Me too. And Infernal Affairs is so great. Uh, a couple more that I, where I think the actual the sequels are actually better. Uh, I, I think the most recent Star is Born. I think is superior to the Chris Christopherson. Oh yeah. Uh, one that's one that I like a lot. Um, the the speaking of westerns, the Russell Crowe Christian Bale, uh, Three Ten to Yuma. Mm. I I I think that's a superior. So I mean it it. But again. We could also sit here, Rob, and list off a very long list of very crappy remakes, right? So, I mean, right. it goes it goes both ways. Anyway, let's let's keep rolling here. Uh, next up, uh, Brian Learn stuff writes, John, Rob, I need help with this. How many holes does a straw have? Your answer would be super useful. A straw has one hole. It's uh, it's just it's there's one hole. It is one continuous hole. Rob, do you agree or disagree? Well, theoretically, there, there. I, I like the one continuous hole angle, but there are two ends of a straw, so I would have to say there's two holes. So, if a piece of paper which has thickness has a hole in it, would you say there are two holes, or would you say there is one hole? I would say there's one hole. I mean, it depends how big you want to. I mean, if you're putting it under a, an electron microscope. You could philosophically make the argument that there are two holes, but I mean the thing is, when you have a straw, a straw has distance between it, and there, if you take so it's a straw, just a matter of how much distance there, because it is one yeah. continuous hole. I I would argue one hole, but you're going to say two. I'm going to say two because what if you had a what if you had a straw in a zero gravity environment, and it was turned on its side, so you could stick something in one side and something in the other. As it, there's two holes there, it's not, you know, and there would be things sitting on either end of the, because it, it wouldn't be like going all the way through because it, no gravity, you know, I don't know where I'm going with this, but <laughs> I, 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 I mean, honestly, it, I, I just think it has two holes. I think if we made this a question of the day, I think it would probably come out pretty close to 50 50 i think our if we, fish uh, wet. This, uh, all right our fish wet all right next up anonymous writes uh no commentary on the historical on the historically low ratings of the nba finals this year well i mean there's really not much to say i said if you guys watch my show you remember back before they restarted any of the sports leagues i said whether it's baseball football by the way look at the ratings of baseball look at the rate i mean all the they're all down because of the COVID situation. I said prior to any of the sports coming back that we are going to see almost non-existent ratings on them. The I still remember the day, Rob, when the NBA shut down because it was the exact same day. I was sitting in my favorite hangout spot in Burbank. It's this outdoor patio place with food and whatever. It's, it's a hookah lounge. I don't smoke hookah, but I like to hang out at this place. And we're sitting outside. It was me, Ann, and Corey. And three significant things all happened on the same day. CinemaCon got canceled. Really, the first thing that kicked it all off was Tom Hanks. They announced Tom Hanks had COVID. Followed immediately by CinemaCon got canceled. And then as we're sitting there watching the TV, an NBA game got stopped. In the, like Just before it was about to start. A player tested positive COVID and they shut the NBA down. I still, I still remember all that stuff happening in one night. Anyway, uh, like I, I said in the show, like when it comes back, and I said 
whoever wins the championships in baseball, football, hockey, uh, whatever. By the way, historically low ratings on hockey as well, even in Canada. Uh, you're, there's going to be a little asterisk beside them because it's going to be that year where seasons got stopped in the middle of them. There was a huge break. Everybody falls off. There's no audience in the crowd, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I said, I, I said this, so this is not surprising. It, it's not surprising. I'm surprised how big the ratings for the NBA's finals were, to be honest with you, because ain't nobody's watching baseball right now. Nobody, and and, and even NFL ratings are, are, are struggling a little bit. It's just hard, but it's easier for football because football got to start their season this way. You know what I mean? Um, they had a big, long time to plan for this thing. The NBA, NHL in particular, were really hurt because they literally had their – they were in the midst of their season and all of a sudden their season got stopped. And their season was off for months and then had some kind of version of it come back. It was really, it was really unfortunate. I hope all the sports leagues can get back on their feet next year. All right, next up, we got Captain Blue Pants who writes, uh, wasn't it part of the Sony Marvel deal that the Spider-Man films had to feature another Avengers level character in them? No, that is not true. Uh, I've read that a lot over the last few days. So is that not true? That is not true. Um, I think what has been there is that there, the ability to do that is certainly there as well as Sony having the ability to put in some Marvel characters into their spunk Sony verse <laughs> Spider-Man movies. That's also been there as well, but I, it was not mandated. There's been no official thing that's ever said that was mandated. Um, Jesse writes, one of three. I feel the reason Marvel keeps putting MCU characters into Spider-Man movies is because what does Marvel gain from having a Spider-Man only film? They don't own the rights to him and they have to share the profits with another studio. So why not use Spider-Man to boost some of the characters they do own? Uh, that way, Marvel's happy because it gets more buzz for their characters and Sony's happy because Spider-Man's making a billion dollars and gets to play with Marvel toys. I'm not saying I like it, but I feel there might be something there to it. I mean, there could be, but I honestly don't think so. I, I think, look, Marvel, Kevin Feige, and Rob, tell me what you think of this. Kevin Feige is all about making the best movie he can. That That is his guiding North Star all the time, every time. What does Marvel get out of making a Spider-Man movie? They get to make a Spider-Man movie. And they make a lot of money. And by the way, because they're the production company on it, they are at no financial risk. Sony's got to pay them regardless. So it is a terrific setup for Marvel uh, that's in there. And let's be honest here. Alongside Captain America, Tony Stark's Iron Man. I mean, it's Iron Man and Cap, but those two were by far and away. And you could make an argument that it was Tony alone. We're by far and away the most popular characters in the MCU. You think him being in Spider-Man helped? No. He was, he was already de facto the most popular character in the MCU, and he was going to be that whether or not they popped him up in Spider-Man. They put him in Spider-Man because they didn't think Spider-Man was cool enough, and they needed the help. And by the way, Rob, I don't disagree in the first, first Spider-Man movie to have a connective bridge between the main MCU and this movie to really drive home to people, this is all in the same universe now, everybody. I didn't mind that idea. I don't like that they push it so far that they had to turn Spider-Man into Iron Man Jr., but having a bridge there was pretty good. And I was pleasantly surprised that Tony wasn't in it as much as I feared he would be. But yeah, I, I, I don't know that I buy into the theory overall, though. I don't know, Rob, how do you see it? Maybe you do. What do you think? 
Well, uh, you know, for me, like, you know, here's the thing. I think when it comes to the character of Spider-Man, when it was introduced, when he was introduced into the MCU, there was a certain expectation that had already been created because of the crossovers, because of the Avengers, because of all of the things that we had already seen up to the point. I mean, Spider-Man was introduced fairly late into the MCU and was never introduced in a standalone film. And the way he was recruited in Civil War, uh, it immediately opened up this uh, mentor relationship for the character, which was organic to the MCU the way it had developed up to that point. I wonder if they are even if it's even if if it's possible to make a standalone Spider-Man film in the MCU. I don't think it can be done to be honest because people would be wondering why haven't any of the Avengers why haven't why hasn't Spider-Man called up, you know, anyone for some help? And I and I think that that is something that's organic now to the Spider-Man films and it doesn't it doesn't bother me i don't i don't think that's a problem and whether he's going to develop a mentor of uh, a, a mentoring relationship with doctor strange I, I don't i don't see that as a as a problem either um but i would like to see a film where they could deal with that situation up front or in the end and and have spider-man have to deal entirely with the situation on his own you know? Right. Okay. I mean, I, I think it's important that, uh, although I just don't know how, how they could because of the way it's been positioned already. And if Spider-Man, if Spider-Man does go back to Sony entirely, well, now it's going to be, you've got Morbius and you've got, you've got Venom. And if you're fighting Venom and Carnage, why wouldn't you make a phone call to Dr. Strange? Like, bro, can I get some help? You know, well, that's always been the big problem with all, with the shared cinematic universe at all. It's like, wait a minute, why doesn't Ant Man call so and so? Why doesn't this person call so and so? Why does you know? But then again, if you think about real life, like you know, if you have a situation in your life that you're dealing with, you don't always call somebody for a lifeline. You know, you don't share every part of your life with them. So if Spider Man's dealing with something specifically, like in his neighborhood, he might think, I got to deal with this myself. I'm not going to call the Avengers up to deal with you know, Paul Giamatti's rhino running rampaging, rampaging around the streets or something like that. I got to deal with this on my own. Yeah. But again, you ran into that situation of Spider-Man far from home, right? Where it's like, oh, there's something happening here that could literally end the world. Right. Um, and, and what did they do? They just did a quick scene. Uh, what about Captain Marvel? Off world. What about Thor on Asgard? What about this person? Blah, blah, blah. And they just came up with all this convenient excuse list. That was their way of dealing with the problem um, of that. So I don't know. It's, it's, it is one that shared cinematic universes movies. Like a, a lot of people, even those who loved Aquaman were like, um, why didn't Aquaman call up his uh, Superman buddy? Right. Why didn't Aquaman reach out to Bruce? Why didn't Aquaman get a hold of that flesh? I mean, the world could be in danger here. Why didn't he call? That's that's what. And they didn't even bother to address it. They said, nah, just just let's not worry about that. Yeah. And I appreciated that. Okay, uh, let's keep moving here. 
let's see here. Where are we at? We are at uh, Star Wars Rocks Rights. Hi, John. I actually found out about the seventh Transformers movie from a reliable source uh, by uh, from a reliable source, a YouTuber by the name of Ragin Nation. It's one of his most recent videos. Again, anything that gets originated on YouTube, I pay no attention to. That doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean it's not true, but for every 5,000 things that originate on YouTube, this show included, uh, about one of them out of 5,000 ends up being true. So it's not that it couldn't be true. It's just that when it actually gets covered by the major trades, then you know it's real and then it's worth. Otherwise, I'm going to be spending all my time talking about, did you hear that on this YouTube channel? Somebody said this. Again, not to disparage, I am a YouTube channel, not to disparage the YouTube channels, but you, we could spend all day, every day talking about stuff that we're... 99.9% of it isn't true. So if it is true, it will at some point be picked up by the major trades. And then it's worth talking about. Otherwise, it's just kind of not worth going into. All right, Willow writes. But thanks for following up on that, man. I appreciate that. Willow writes. I hope you don't consider this a spoiler, but the was the bit with Homelander in the finale actually supposed previously shot footage from season one? Yes, it was. I don't know uh, if they might have toned the scene down, but I didn't think it was a rage to say love sausage. Oh, it was definitely look. So <laughs> look, it, it's been a week now. I'm, I'm just going to say what it is. Okay. So if any of you have not seen the finale of the boy seasons two, this is not a story point at all. It's just a little tag. They put on at the end of the season two of the boys. I've given you warning now. I'm about to say what it was. Again, it, it's not a story point at all. But if you don't want to hear this, mute your speakers right now, and I'll give you a big wave when it's okay to turn on your speakers again, okay? All right. So at the end of The Boys Season 2, they do this quick little tag at the end where Homelander is standing on top of the building overlooking the city, masturbating like a furious monkey. Uh, yelling, I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. This is obviously the scene that they shot for season one. That was the only scene Amazon made them take out. And that is where Chris Carr's infamous quote, soup goop came from <laughs> because in the original, as it's originally shot, Homelander masturbates until he climaxes and sprays soup goop as Chris called it, all over the city. They left that part out. But while it was funny, and I don't know if they specifically put that back in there because of this show and because of Chris Carr's infamous soup goop line. I don't know if that's why they put it back <laughs> in or not. But it, while hilarious, it was it also felt out of place because it didn't feel like they're going from that um, press conference where Homelander saying, Oh, thank goodness I have Maeve and Starlight and blah blah blah. To all of a sudden him doing that, it it would have fit better in scene or in, in season one than in season two. It was still a kick to see it there, though. I don't know. But they did cut out the soup goop part, which I'm sure Amazon didn't want on there. Rob, what do you think? I agree. I thought that was really incongruous with the rest of what was going on. I mean, that was literally when he was looking at Starlight and Maeve giving that speech and they're panning closer into his eyes. That was terrifying. Yes, it I was. Kept wait, I kept waiting for his eyes to ignite and he was finally going to get to do what he wanted to do earlier in the season and just take out everybody. I mean, I'm waiting for, I don't know where they're going to go with this, but I'm waiting for Homelander to snap and just take over the world, become the dictator that I think he wants to be. And, um, you know, why not? I mean, he was bested by two women 
Uh, and uh, I, I, that anger, and I don't believe that after all that happened, he's going to go stand and, and, and just jerk off over the city saying, I can do whatever I want. That seems sort of uh, not where Homelander was left at the end of season two. No. But it was still fun that they put it. It in was there. fun. I mean, yeah. Although it was fun. I like that they addressed that too. Again, this is a, this one is a bit of a a, a story plot spoiler, so just be careful about this. But when when Maeve threatens to release the video of him letting one of the greatest episodes in television history, the airplane episode from season one, when she re- threatens to release that video showing Homelander letting all those people die, um, and he says, "I'll kill everybody." Like he basically, he, so he's like, fine, they're addressing this. I'll, I'll kill everybody then. And Maeve is like, I don't care. Just as long as everybody knows that you're the monster that you are. And then no one will ever love you again. Right. And then I loved that we get to hear the audio in his mind of people cheering his name. Homelander. Like that is everything to him. And the thought that people would hate him and not love him is crippling to him. Oh, I love that scene. No, but that's, I think that's what makes the character. He's not just a straight up villain. I mean, when you think about his backstory and how he was treated as a kid, basically grown in a laboratory with no love and no, no parental guidance. Some of the best scenes in season two, like that actually was one scene where he was encouraged by Stormfront to try and be a father figure to Ryan. And he sits down with Ryan and actually has this moment of compassion. And everything that he was saying was like true. And it was it was a real moment of compassion from Homelander. And I'm like, wow, that was pretty ballsy. And I, I believed him. I thought that was, again, Anthony, that guy, that dude Anthony is Star. one. Yeah. Anthony Starr is such a great actor. And to see... That that scene that scene was one of the highlights of. I know it's just him talking to a kid. It's not him killing anybody or anything like that. But I thought that was one of the highlights of the entire season. All right. So with that said, if you were muting, you can turn it back on now. We're done talking about the boys season one or season two, I should say. All right. Let's move on here. Uh, next up, we have Ben Rayner who writes. Hey, John, in regards to that Back to the Future question yesterday about plutonium about to get sweaty. Hold on. In part three, Doc says the time the time Curtis ran the time Curtis ran on plutonium. Do you mean the time machine? I ran on plutonium. Then Mr. Fusion, uh, then Mr. Fusion. But the car always ran on old fashioned gas and the 1800s gas wasn't around yet. So somebody wrote in yesterday, Rob, and I, I cannot remember parts two and three specifically enough about, hey, how come in um, the one back to the future, they needed gas. But in the other one, all they had to do is throw garbage into it. My answer was, well, if you think about it, the DeLorean changes over the course of even the first movie in mm-hmm. the beginning of it. It is what it is. But at the end of it, when doc comes back to get him, it then fold, it transforms into a flying ship. So maybe it just transforms its internal engines. How would you address that question? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the same thing. It, it, these are just things that you have to assume that took place off screen. And I, I, there, I don't see them as logic problems, but it does, it is transforming throughout the entire course of the movie so you know it's hard it's hard to say but i i would say uh, it, it, like you just said it, it just it keeps getting upgraded and transformed i mean heck it gets big giant wheels in the third movie too you know it's yeah all right, all right let's move on 
Uh, Andy Hong writes, would you be open to a biopic of John McCain? He was widely respected and beloved by many sides of U.S. politics and was well known for his capacity to be respectful to those with different views and his ability to reach across the aisle, uh, which only makes me admire him even more. When looking at the current state of U.S. politics, I would be happy with the film choosing any point of time of his life. But if I had to choose, I would be a biopic depicting his time in the U.S. Navy and in Vietnam. Um yeah, I want to be careful about how I address this without it sounding political. Listen, John McCain is exactly the type of person I think they should be making biopics of. Like for me, I'm not all that terribly interested in biopics about musicians. I, I, I've said that before, even though there are several biopics about musicians that I really love, to be honest. But a guy like him, you know, whether you go back to his military service and his military career, to the this is what speaks volumes, uh, I think, about the character of that man. And listen, John McCain had some political beliefs that I fundamentally disagreed with. But that said, you know, he was a person who, when he died, there were people on the opposite side of the political aisle from him that came and spoke at his funeral, including the guy he ran against to be president of the United States. And I think. If you want to talk, and again, I had some fundamental differences in philosophy with John McCain, but I think that speaks volumes about uh, about a person's character. That the people who were your people who were both on your side of the aisle and people who are on the other side of the aisle, but all came to honor you and speak at your funeral. I, I think that speaks volumes, Rob. I, mm. I really do. And when you when you go back, a lot of times people ask, "Would you be interested in the biopic about this musician?" I say, "I don't even know if that musician had an interesting life." I have no idea. John McCain, a guy who served his country in the military, almost gave the ultimate sacrifice in the military, was a POW, came home, spent the rest of his life serving his country, and did so in such a way that he earned the respect of people on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. Whether or not I had some political disagreements about positions he had is irrelevant. That's an interesting life. So, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I would be totally down for a movie biopic of John McCain. I'd be totally down for that because I think it, it's a very interesting story to tell. And I wouldn't just keep it to his time served in the military. I would start it there and I would go through his whole life. I, I would I would go through his whole life personally. But I don't know, Rob, what do you think? Would you be up for a John McCain biopic? Yeah, I mean, I mean, think about it. That guy agreed to stay in captivity uh, in order to make sure other people – were released and and a stuck up. For, oh, but what what makes a person decide to do that? I mean, it's it's incredible what what he did. And you know, I think that um, he did have an interesting life. And I would love to know, like, where did he begin? How did he spend his childhood? What shaped him into the man he became? You know, uh, why not? Why shouldn't we have a biopic like that? I don't know if it should be theatrically released, maybe for HBO Max, but I'd watch it. All right, let's keep going here. Next one up. We've got an anonymous you who writes uh, about the Oscar. The problem that the problem that movie like The Gentleman seems like a year ago to wait for 2022 awards, then no one will remember uh, that this movie came out. Oscar voters usually forget about movies that came out at the beginning of the year, never mind a year ago. That's a total myth. That is completely not true. I know Oscar voters. They don't forget 
You don't forget what movie came out six months ago. Oscar voters, I know several Oscar voters, they do not forget what came out several months ago. That is a totally made-up myth that just gets repeated so many times. At some point, people believe it, but it's completely not true. Uh, anyway, uh, the solution is easy. 2020 movies deserve to be recognized, not to be forgotten because of COVID. So Oscars should happen, but continue uh, with the Academy high standards. Don't nominate 10 movies if they don't deserve it. Five is enough. Three actors is enough. I, again, I completely disagree. Uh, there are good arguments. Aaron raised some very, very good arguments. Rob, I, I, you missed it, but Aaron and I had a really good debate the other day about, you know, given the state of things, should there even be an Oscars uh, right now? And I took the position that no, they should not. It's pointless. Aaron took the position that she should, and Aaron made some really great arguments. Um, to me, it, it's fundamentally this. When only 30% of the movies that would have gotten a theatrical re release this year actually got a release then it, it doesn't matter how what what semantics, how you try to pretty it up. It doesn't matter how, you know, poetic platitudes you try to write around it. The bottom line is this. You're going to have to put an asterisk beside anything that wins an Oscar this year because it only had to face 30% of the competition that every other Academy Award winning film or every other Academy Award winning actor or every other Academy Award winning cinematographer had to face. Every other winner in every other year had to had to face triple the amount of competition that the winners of that year had to face that's not balanced that's not fair you know for, for so one movie gets to win a best picture yay but you got to put an asterisk because they faced every other year faced more than triple the amount of competition that that film did and uh, all things considered that is not an environment they should be doing an Oscars in because I'll tell you right now, and I said this before, Rob, you take a performance like Delroy Lindo, right, in uh, Defy Bloods. Delroy Lindo deserves to be nominated for an Academy Award in a year that counts. And because, again, if he gets nominated this year and wins this year, it's going to be forgotten because it's going to be an uncounted year anyway. I say take that 30% of films that got released roll it into a following year. It creates a different problem. Yes, I'm not pretending it doesn't. It does create a separate set of problems. But I believe there are more palatable problems and in the long term, more fair, balanced problems than the problems you create by having a symbolic Oscars in 2021 mm -hmm. that everybody will know really don't mean anything. But I, I but again, I, I'm, I'm saying that I want to be careful because Aaron's not here to defend her, her position, which she did a very, very good job of. But I don't know, Rob, I, I'd be curious to know in, in the big question about given the status of things, and it looks like we're not really getting any more of these movies. Do you think there should be an Academy Awards that represent the movie year of 2020? No. I, I, I don't because the, the year as far as movie going is, as, is concerned has been deeply, deeply compromised. And, and I think that uh, a lot of people's work that would have been part of this year has been pushed off or hasn't been seen or there, there's a lot of – there's just – there's been too much disruption in the movie industry itself to, I think, move forward with the Oscars this year. I think it doesn't honor – the amazing amount of work that it requires to make movies, the perseverance that people have to get projects made, the situations movie theaters themselves face. Um, I, I think all of it, I think that to honor the struggle of the industry 
uh, I would I make it a buy year. You know, uh, I, I I just think I think that's important. I I know the show must go on, but I don't think that you're doing anyone. The the the, the winners of this year are going to feel that they haven't won anything. You know, there's there's I think it's too compromised. I really do. And and it, there's also a question of fairness because, like, the Academy has done – hey, listen, let me give the Academy props where they deserve it. They've done a really good job of adapting to this year and saying, oh, we're going to – because they said this months ago, we're going to expand the eligibility requirements. We're going to expand – you know, drive-ins now count, Rob. They, they said drive – they did a really good job responding to that, but – that becomes a completely unfair situation now for big movies, not even big movies, but really great, potentially Oscar contending movies, a ton of which for their own financial well-being had to be pushed off to 2021 or 2022, that they now are going to have to face much stiffer competition in the following year just because they did what was best for them and moved years, whereas maybe a couple of potentially Oscar-nominated films, Oscar-caliber films – chose, well, whatever, we don't, we won't worry about moving. We'll just make whatever money we can and we'll stay in this year. So it, there's a fundamental unfairness there that movies that had to make the decision for their own financial well-being to move to 2021, and now they're going to face stiffer competition in another year, whereas the movies that just chose to stay where they are, they get to benefit from that. It's just fundamentally unbalanced. It, it's just and, – and look – like I said before, there's no perfect answer here. I'm not going to pretend that moving and shifting the Oscars off a year doesn't create a new set of problems. It absolutely does. I'm not pretending it doesn't. It's just that it is much more navigatable and much more palatable problems than I think the ones you do if you just create a symbolic uh, ceremonial Oscars of 2021 that everybody will know don't really count. So Hey, um, there's some – Really interesting news that also just dropped. And today's the day of breaking news. What is it? Eddie Murphy's Coming to America 2 moves from Paramount to Amazon Studios. That is not surprising. This is uh, this is in Variety. Yeah, that's not surprising. I've got it open right now in uh... – They sold it. They sold it to Amazon for $125 million. And the streaming premiere date is December 18th. Yep. Not so, do you remember you and I discussed this a little bit because it was supposed to, we've heard nothing about marketing for this film. No marketing for this film at all. It was still supposed to come out and we were like, no, this one's going to get moved. They're, they're going to move this thing. Yeah, it says the sale is to be a priority for Amazon Studios chief Jennifer Salke, who has been on the hunt for more commercial fare with the recent acquisition of the sequel to Borat and another Paramount acquisition in the Tom Clancy adaptation without remorse. Uh, and then Regina King's One Night in Miami, her directorial debut. Uh, that's crazy, though. You'd think that, I mean, Netflix, wasn't that going to go to Netflix? I mean, they, oh, they have the deal for Beverly Hills Cop. I mean, Paramount selling it off to Amazon. They're, Paramount sold a, that's a franchise movie that they sold to a rival studio. They've done it several times, though, right? Paramount has done this several times. Paramount did it. With um, they did it obviously with the, well, jo- the the Jack Ryan series too was Paramount and they sold the c- TV series went to Amazon or whatever. But even with theatrical films, they were gonna that Cloverfield movie was supposed oh, yeah. to go theaters. Last second they pulled the trigger on that. The um, 
um, uh, Kumail Nagiani comedy um, that was just supposed to go that was supposed to go to theaters last second they sold it to Amazon so this is this is not unusual for Paramount to do this right this I is just, it's, it's I mean after Dolomite is my name mm. you know you'd think that that Netflix would want to be in that Eddie Murphy business yeah well maybe they bid on it maybe I mean listen Amazon didn't pay 125 million dollars when there were no other bidders. Right. right. So that's, clearly, clearly they had to outbid. Yeah. That's not a bad chunk that. of change, you know. Not a bad chunk of change. Anyway, Rob, listen, I we've kept you over time. Uh, thank you again for being here, uh, my friend. In the meantime, where can people find you in all your online goodness? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett, or find me on my own YouTube channel is uh, the Burnett Work, where the ongoing intergalactic imagination connoisseurs film festival is accepting entries until december 1st and we have three world premieres this week today tomorrow and thursday at noon on the channel so check it out all right dude thanks a lot for being here and i will talk to you again soon my friend take care all right I'll all right, that was, of course, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. But for now, we still got about 20 minutes. Let's keep on going through your questions. Next one comes to us from Israel King, who writes, Hey, John, my family has been using the Sling TV app. I used to use Sling TV app. I, I like them a lot. They're fairly economical, too, like at the 30 or 40 bucks. I like the Sling TV app. Anyway, uh, my family's been using the Sling TV app for a year now, but we've become unhappy with it. What TV service do you recommend we switch to? Hopefully something that will allow us to pause and play without jumping back to the live broadcast. I have been very, very happy with YouTube TV. Uh, now, YouTube TV is more expensive, but it's rock solid. It's got Every network I can imagine that I would want on there, it's got unlimited DVR so you can record all the shows and go back and watch them wherever you hand. They have built-in VOD so you can go back and watch. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't even record it, but I missed last week's episode of, I don't know, uh, Black Lightning. I'll just go into YouTube TV, search Black Lightning, it'll show you the previous episode. I mean, it's, it's really great. You pay for the service. It is more expensive than something like a Sling TV. But I've got to tell you, I'm somebody who used the DirecTV streaming app. I used the Hulu Live TV streaming app. I used Sling TV for quite a while, and I like Sling TV. But I ended up on YouTube TV, and it, 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 I got to tell you, I'm, pretty, I'm very satisfied with it. Even though it costs a little bit more, I've been very, very happy with it. That's just my thing. All right, next up, Ryan Lohner writes, one of two. I just finished season one of Sons of Anarchy. For the first few episodes, I really wasn't feeling it, but then suddenly everything clicked and I ate up the rest like potato chips. It helped that I finally figured out that there was no person named Sam Crow. Me too. I was like, the first few times I would hear them say Sam Crow, I'm like, who's who's Sam Crow? Oh, Sons of Anarchy Motorcycle Club. Um, uh, motors, Sons of Anarchy. It's S-A-M-C-R-O. Motorcycle Club. Redwood something i can't remember what the o was for but anyway yeah sam crow is just the way of saying the sons of anarchy is what they are i know that confused me a lot too um i also love how you can pinpoint the exact moment kurt sutter realized maybe it wasn't a good idea for almost every single character to constantly be dropping racial slurs in a pitiful attempt to be edgy uh, listen i'll tell you right now it wasn't a pitiful attempt to be edgy kurt sutter comes from that background he knows how they talked like in real life, that's how they talked. 
And Kurt Sutter said, like, one of the things is like in simple things like dialogue, I want it to be representative of you. If you dropped in on a conversation that was going on in, in that environment, that's what you would have heard. It wasn't if, if you if you look at Chris uh, or Kurt Sutter at all, nothing about Kurt Sutter is just a fake attempt to be edgy. It doesn't mean he was always wise. It doesn't mean he was always wise. But one of the things that certainly never was was a fake attempt just to appear edgy. That that was never uh, what Kurt Sutter was about. Again, not always he didn't always exhibit the best wisdom. But that wasn't one of the problems there. I'm glad you got on it. It is my in my Sons of Anarchy is in my top three all time favorite television shows. My number one is Battlestar Galactica, and then in no particular order, the next two are Spartacus and Sons of Anarchy. It's just, I think, one of the greatest TV shows ever made. Um, All right. Preston, the Kryptonian writes, Hey, John, after Orange Hand's question about George Lucas being surrounded by yes men, uh, that made me think, did J.J. in his situation with the sequels, uh, do you think that was the case with J.J. uh, for Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker? Thanks. No, that wasn't the case with J.J. There was a different set of problems. For example, like The Force Awakens is a fantastic movie i i don't care what anybody else says and it's actually most critics and most audiences agree when you go up and look at the review the force awakens is fantastic the problem that then began to emerge was it was a systemic institutional problem as opposed to the problem of just one person having all the power and being the main creative voice and being the director and being the financial guy and being the studio head all in the same person So it's just all that and nobody there to be a check and a balance. With J.J., there was definitely checks and balances. The problem was, institutionally, they took an approach of not having a plan. And I've gone over this a million times. It was not having a plan. And so all along the way, they were just making it up as they went. And that became really evident when you got into The Rise of Skywalker. There There was no plan. And so they did. They made a lot of decisions and they were trying to, oh, people didn't like that. So let's change course and let's do this. And oh, let's do this. And oh, let's do this. And it, it just became that. It wasn't a matter of that are not being checks and balances. There were, but because they institutionally started off from a position of not planning out what the trilogy was going to be, they found themselves chasing their own tail. And it was fine for The Last Jedi. I still think The Last Jedi is a decent movie. There are things I love about it. There are things that didn't work for me. But you could start to see the cracks in the armor there. And then by the time you got to the rise of Skywalker, it's just, okay, now it's just gone. Because they didn't have a plan. So no, very, very different set of problems, I think, Preston, uh, when you look at those two situations. All right, Timbula the Spider Monkey writes, for the person who brought up the DeLorean needing plutonium, another person wants to bring that up, uh, needing plutonium back to the future. Doc says the internal combustion engine is the same as any car and runs on gasoline, but the flux capacitor needs fusion reaction to power the time circles, which is exactly what somebody else brought up. So thank you, you guys, for wanting to jump in there and address other people's questions. That's very good of you. Thanks for putting that in there, Timbula. All right, Preston the Kryptonian writes, John. I tried the cherry cola flavor of Zevia. Um, and of course, uh, Zevia Cola. Sponsor me, you sons of bitches. Look at all these people trying Zevia Cola because of me. Nobody else on this planet promotes your damn soda more than I do. Sponsor me, you sons of bitches. Anyway, uh, I tried the cherry cola flavor of Zevia. I, uh, I think it's a little better than the cream soda. I want to try all the flavors before making a judgment on the beverage altogether. I forgot what flavor is your favorite. Sponsor John, you sons of bitches. My, honestly, I tried just about all of them. Um, I quite like their root beer one too. 
but I honestly, I just keep coming back there. Just straight up cola one is one that I've, I've, I've really developed a taste for it. Uh, and so I find myself nine times out of 10, I go right for their straight up cola one. So that's, that's my favorite. Uh, but maybe I should stop talking about ZV until they start sponsoring this show. Cause I give them an awful lot of free advertising. Anyway, sons of bitches. All right. Next up, uh, Steve Alexander writes, Hey John, by the time you read this, it will be October 13th. It is officially my 31st birthday. Happy birthday to you, Steve. I'm writing this message to you because I'm very thankful for you. Your videos helped me a lot when I was homeless a few years ago. Can't wait to buy your movie. Oh, dude, thank you so much. And happy birthday to you. And congrats on, listen, it's to me, it is always inspiring to hear about people who are, were in a bad place, whether it's emotionally, whether it's practically or physically, whatever, who are in a bad place and got themselves out of that bad place. That to me is incredibly inspiring. So thank you for sharing that. Happy birthday to you, man. May you have a great birthday ahead of yourself and a great year ahead of yourself as well. And thank you so much for sharing that story. I really appreciate it, man. All right, next up. Uh, you me writes, Hey, John and Rob with the pandemic persisting in a second wave here in Switzerland, I found myself craving some laughs. I turned to my favorite comedy series that never disappoints Brooklyn nine, nine. Have you or Rob seen it? What are your thoughts? I'm not a fan. Um, now granted, I only tried maybe grand total four or five episodes, maybe even like three or four didn't click with me. I didn't hate it. Don't get me wrong. I did not hate it. It just didn't really click for me, not interested. Oddly enough, my wife, about a few months ago, she started watching it. Because as she's working, she likes to have Netflix on or something on as she's working, right? And she discovered Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And she really likes it. Like my, So my wife, it's much like um, uh, Cobra Kai. I, I don't like Cobra Kai. But my wife loves it. I, I Yeah, just Brooklyn Nine-Nine wasn't for me. But... It really clicks with my wife, Anne. So my wife is really, really liking that show. Uh, and it's got a lot of fans. Uh, Tristan Thorpe writes, uh, Two months ago, I went to hang out with a friend who was going through a tough time in these quarantine days, and we decided to watch movies. We started the Pirates movie, uh, movies like uh, like you, the first one is the best. Then I showed her John Wick for the first time. Nice. And at, and at what point? And at what one point she asked if this was the movie where the dog dies. I said, no, her reaction to that moment was what I was expecting. An old man going forward. Her reactions were even better afterwards. She showed me Titanic for the first time. I can't tell you how speechless I was after Titanic. Uh, just the balance of it was amazing. Like from the romance to what Rose was going through to finally when it all goes to hell, like there are some horrifying moments, man. Also that score is perfect. I will tell you what, Tristan, First of all, I got to say, one of my favorite things, you've heard me say this before, one of my favorite things in the world to do is showing a movie I love to somebody who's never seen it before. It's like one of the best things ever. It's one of the best things in life. Titanic gets a bad rap. Titanic is a masterfully done movie. It is a masterfully done movie, but it's become the cool thing. It's the cool thing to, to trash on Titanic. It's brilliant. And you're right. It is it is fantastic storytelling, structured nearly perfectly, and it makes you feel it. Especially watching it in theaters, you feel the tra the horror of it, the tragedy of it. Dude, there's a scene in that movie that haunts me forever. Like it's near the end when the boat is starting during the the third act when the boat is starting to sink and everything, and you get that older couple laying in the bed together. They know they're doomed. 
And all they do is they stay in their bed and they just hold each other as the water rises in their room and starts to come over the edge of the bed and they just hold each other. That, that is a moment in film. No one ever talks about that scene. No one ever talks about that shot. But I'll tell you what, that is a moment in film that will always be with me. That emotionally punched me in the face. You know, it, it, it was... And there's a lot of horrifying moments. Like, you felt the horror in that as that ship was going down. There's a lot of horrifying imagery and all that kind of stuff. But it, there's something about that shot. Something about that scene uh, that was brilliant. It's a great movie, and a lot of people today forget that. And, and I'm glad you had a chance to go back and watch it again or watch it for the first time, and I'm glad you were able to enjoy it the way. It's not a perfect film by any stretch, but it's a great movie. Uh, thanks for sharing that, man. All right, Tristan Thorpe writes, I love that we're getting a Green Lantern show, finally, even if Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart aren't in it, uh, because to me, lately, Jessica Cruz is my Green Lantern. I feel you can do a lot with a Green Lantern who suffers from anxiety due to the trauma she faced in her origin. Well, you know, listen, a lot of the best superhero characters are ones that have, I mean, almost all of them do. A lot of the great ones do. Look at Batman, for example. The entire persona of Batman is based on uh, trauma. Right. The trauma of that night in the alley when Bruce Wayne died and the Batman was born. I mean, really. A lot of the great superhero characters have that. I, again, don't think it's a matter of them really wanting to focus on Kilowog or wanting to focus on Guy Gardner or wanting to focus. I don't think that's the driving or Jessica. I don't think that's the driving purpose here. The driving purpose, I think, is clearly that they have other plans for Jon Stewart and Hal Jordan, maybe even Kyle Rayner. And we'll see how that goes. But it does open an opportunity for them to explore some of these characters that maybe they never would have touched. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes, Tristan. Uh, one last thing, Tristan writes. I binged Breaking Bad for the first time, and oh my God, just the progression of the characters and having that story always going forward with no filler. And like you, The Fly is my favorite episode. It's certainly a show that is a masterpiece. I, the Fly is a very controversial episode of Breaking Bad. I unapologetically think I think it's the most brilliant episode of the show. I think there's so much stuff going on there, character-wise, symbolism-wise, deeply layered. I just think that is like one of the most, one of the best, maybe a top 10 best episodes of television of all time. I, I just love that episode. I'm glad you had a chance to check that out, Tristan. Now you see what all the hype was about. All right, Fifty Shades of Geek writes, I have a theory. The Green Lantern show doesn't have Hal and John because DC wants to focus on some of the lesser-known Lantern characters. And maybe Hal and John are uh, core veterans on faraway missions that will uh, make guest appearances throughout the season. I disagree. Uh, I can see where you're going for w with that, but I, I th honestly think, I don't think there's any way that if DC didn't have other plans for Hal and John, that there's any way they wouldn't put them in a Green Lantern core movie. There's no way. Um... Because you can have Hal and John there and focus on other characters if you want. If you want to, you could do that. But I honestly think, Fifty Shades, that the underlying thing here is that they've got bigger plans for those specific characters. And there's nothing to say that they can't make a quick appearance here or there in it or that they won't be referenced in the show. But yeah, I, I personally... And I don't know this for a fact. It's just what I believe. I, I believe they, they clearly have probably feature film kind of 
uh, aspirations for those characters, and that's why they're not going to be in the show. Uh, but we'll find out soon enough. Certified Lover Boy writes, Remember nine years ago when Universal tried to shorten the theatrical window for the extremely mediocre film Tower Heist and theaters said, hell no. Flash forward to today, do you still think AMC Universal deal was still a bad idea for AMC given the state of them? Even more so. Because what the AMC deal did is incredibly short-sighted for them. What the AMC deal with Universal does is it guarantees AMC's long-term failure. It is never a good idea. Too many people make deals about things that might be good for me today, and they lose sight about what are the long-term ramifications of this. That's why people get into credit problems. Like, people get into credit problems because they see it as oh, I can get this for today. Oh, yay, and all I have to pay is $35 a month or pay $100 and something dollars a month or pay $18 a month or pay $300 a month. They don't look at it as, oh my God, I just bought something that's $8,000. And they think of the short-term benefit, but they don't take in consideration the long-term ramifications of what it is they're doing. And I think this is a situation where, this is why all the other movie theater chains have looked at Universal and Universal say, hey guys, don't you want to sign this deal too? Look, AMC signed it. And all the other theater chains are like, screw off. That deal will guarantee our industry has no future. They may not have a future anyway. Yeah, as we talked about a little bit earlier. But no, it, it's still a bad deal that AMC signed. It's, it's a sign of desperation. AMC is a company right now and you guys know, long term, I, I hate a segment of AMC, some of the most incompetent morons in the history of morons over at AMC. But overall, you know, I have a love for the company. I, I do. But they are a company that is a model of desperation right now. And when you are desperate, you make bad decisions. That's just true in life. When you're desperate, that's not the time to make important decisions. And they are making the decisions of a desperate company. You know what they say, right? Don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry because you'll make bad decisions at the grocery store. <laughs> I do it all the time. Uh, try to eat before you go to the grocery store because if you're at the grocery store and you're hungry, you will make bad decisions. AMC is a company that reeks of desperation right now, understandably so. And in their desperation, they are making bad decisions bad decision making this deal with universal that they made bad decision to keep their doors open when other like when regal you know their closest competitor realized you know what the smart thing to do is right now close our doors conserve our money until movie movies are back then we'll open our doors amc's like no we'll keep our doors open it'll be fine a desperate company making bad decisions that's amc right now and i say this as somebody who likes amc they're my theater of choice but, you know, it is what it is. All right. Uh, next up, Lynn writes, Hey, John, great fan since the AMC days. Thank you so much, Lynn, especially that Marvel special you had after the El Capitan announcement. That was a good time. I, I was there in person at the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood when they did the Marvel Phase 3 announcement and Kevin Feige and we had, you know, uh, we had Chadwick Boseman on stage with... Uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans as Captain America and Iron Man, tug of warring on him. It was such a great event. It was a lot of fun. And we did this big announcement video of it. Anyway, just want to say thanks for all that you do. Also tried Zevia for the first time today. I like it. Sponsor him, you sons of bitches. That is every day, you sons of bitches. 
Other people saying, hey, we're trying just because of this John Campy show thing. Sponsor this show. And meanwhile, they're sitting at home. Well, Campy, why do we have to sponsor it? You keep talking about our cola. So thanks for free. I mean, this is my own fault, I suppose. Uh, thanks for following along with us, Lynn. Hitchcock is the goat, writes. To all those who incorrectly declare that Die Hard and Lethal Weapon are Christmas movies, Fat Man was made for you. Can't wait for this movie. Uh, if this was a normal year, it could have been a sleeper hit. Uh, everyone I've shown this trailer to is so excited to see it. For those of you who don't know, Fat Man is that new Mel Gibson, Walton Goggins movie where Mel Gibson plays Santa Claus and Walton Goggins as a hitman sent to kill him. Uh, it is a gritty looking pretty violent movie. Uh, again, I am utterly fascinated by this trailer. I, again, I don't know if this movie is going to be great or terrible. But ooh, it looks interesting. It looks so interesting. All right, last question of the day, guys. And then uh, we'll have to pick this up tomorrow. Art teacher movie fan writes, Hello, John and Rob and Aaron, if, if it's Thursday. Well, no, it's still Wednesday. Uh, my question is, if you created your own superhero, what would be what would be their power? What would their power set be? Thanks and keep up the great show. I look forward to it every day and listen to it in between teaching art online. Well, thank first of all, thank you for being a teacher, and uh, thank you for watching the show. Um, if I were to make, I I think I'm more fascinated by the superheroes without infinite powers, right? Like some in incarnations of, of Aquaman now, he even flies. Aquaman flies. Like, really, he's got to have. So, Aquaman also, like every other superhero, has superhuman strength, superhero speed. He can fly, blah, blah, blah. At, at some point, Wonder Woman was able, be, they made Wonder Woman that she could fly. Cool. I guess Wonder Woman can fly now. At some point, they did that. I mean, it's just like a lot of superheroes, they're all the same, really, just different variations of the same powers. I like, I'm kind of more attracted to the heroes that are more limited in scope that have something very specific. That is a power of theirs. Like even in the boys, most soups in the boys are bulletproof and they have extreme strength or whatever. Right. It just, I, so I like the more limited ones. So I don't know. I guess that's why I like translucent, but again, translucent couldn't just be an invisible man. He had to have impenetrable skin and he had, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, I would probably be a character that's a little bit more limited in scope. You know, I said that was the last one, but let's do one more. Uh, Evan writes, Hey, John and Rob, love the show. Thank you so much. Recently, just watched Rob's Superman Returns behind-the-scenes videography stuff. Great work, Rob. He did a great job on that. Uh, this leads me to ask how the progress on your own documentary is going, John. When can we expect it to be released? Uh, live long and prosper. Well, thank you so much. Well, actually, my documentary right now is playing in a couple of festivals. Actually, right now, uh, a, uh, NBC Universal's um, presents the Portland Film Festival. Uh, it's uh, and, and it is a finalist for best documentary of the festival. That's playing there right now. My goal right now is to have it available by the end of the year. So my goal at this moment is to have movie trailers, a love story available. Um, for rent uh, or purchase by the end of the year. That's my goal. I'm hoping I'm going to be able to do it. I think I'm going to be able to do that. Uh, fingers crossed. So it's coming along nicely. Thank you for asking, Evan. All right. From there, um, 
Uh, we've got questions from Nick Parrish, Brandon Plummer, Chris Daniels, and a couple of others. Don't have time right now to get to your questions, but do not worry. You sent in these questions. They will be the first ones to get answered on the show tomorrow once we get to uh, once we get to as I bring up my camera, once we get to the live questions part of the show tomorrow, yours are going to be the first ones we get to tomorrow. So you send them in. Thank you for that. They're going to get answered. Keep your eyes open for that. All right, guys, that'll do it for today's installment of the John KB show. Thank you so much for being here. Just a quick reminder, guys, if you haven't done so already, click on that subscribe button, become a subscriber to the channel. By the way, too, just take a second, go down and click the thumbs up on it as well and leave your thoughts in the comment section on any or all the topics that we discussed here today. Just remember when you're talking in the comment section, Talk like you're talking to fellow film fans, right? Have some great disagreements and debates, but remember you're talking to fellow film fans. Keep it natured as such. Uh, thanks to all of you guys for making this show a part of your day. A special thanks to all of you who sent in the live questions because number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us here, thank you very, very much for that. That will do it for me for now, guys. Thanks so much for being here. My name is John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.